Well, the Bible is a, a library of, uh, of 66 books, um, which were written about um, by, by 40 different authors over a time period of about 1,600 uh, years. And there are a broad mix of, of literary styles. Um, some of you have already mentioned that it's a, a historical document and it does contain history. There's uh, poetry books in there, the book of Psalms. There's prophecy. Uh, many would consider the book of Revelation, the last book of the New Testament, to be a prophetic book. There's philosophy. There's practical, down-to-earth teaching. Um, and there's romance. For those of you who like Mills and Boone, who would like to confess to being a Mills and Boone reader? When you read the, um, in the newsletter, Louise uh, enjoys romantic, um, uh, historical romances. That's why she spends a lot of time reading the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon. For those of you who uh, don't know about the Song of Songs, um, go and read it this afternoon or tonight. It's a, it's a really interesting book. In the midst of what appears to be uh, random stories and, and styles, theologians have proposed a number of, of ideas of what the central uh, unified theme running through the Bible uh, might be. And they call this, this, this uh, theme the meta-narrative or the grand narrative. Or to put it simply, uh, they are referring to the big story, the thread uh, which weaves its way throughout all of Scripture from the beginning to the end. The big story is something that I've um, spent a lot of time wrestling with for a number of years. If I ever get to do a PhD or if I ever get to write a book, um, the topic will be around the big story. Because I figure if we can get a handle um, on the big story, then perhaps things like the Bible and church and leadership and uh, ministry, and mission, and following Jesus can make a little bit more sense than they sometimes do. And I'd like to propose to you this morning that one of the most helpful ways, it's not the only way, but one of the most helpful ways for understanding and interpreting the Bible is to see the big story um, uh, through the lens of family. That God's big idea that we see running through, through the Bible is family. In the book of Genesis, uh, we encounter a concept or we're introduced to the idea of the Trinity. In Genesis uh, 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness. I find that quite fascinating. God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness. What do the, the, those two words, um, us and our, suggest? Sorry? More than one. It suggests plurality. And yet the Bible is very clear that God is one. It's not that there are uh, somehow three gods, that we worship three gods. I've got a very good friend who's a, a, a Jewish rabbi, and the thing he can't get his head around is um, he's, he, he believes that we as uh, followers of Jesus worship three gods. 
and we try to explain to him, no, we, we believe in one God um, who is Trinitarian or communitarian in nature. But the oneness of God is somehow expressed in and through a God who is, and it's incorrect to say this, but I can't find a better way of expressing it, but God is a community of beings. That God is somehow, in the mystery of God, a community of beings. I'm not sure how you imagine God, if you do take any time to imagine God, but I like to visualize God, the Trinity, sitting together at a kitchen table. There's a great uh, painting here by um, Andre uh, Rublev uh, called The Trinity. And it beautifully captures this concept of the Godhead gathering around a table. The words that we um, often use to describe God are, are primarily family terms. There is God the Father and God the... They're both family terms, aren't they? They're, they're words that are incorporated as part of our, our family language. And so the very substance or the very stuff of God is family. God by nature and by essence is family. And I like to kind of create things in my, my head. I'm a, a kind of picture person. I like to imagine. I like to visualize. And I imagine the Godhead before time and eternity. I imagine the family of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit doing what healthy families do. They're, they're talking together. They're laughing together. They're enjoying one another's company. And out of this um, shared uh, life of God emerged this profound idea, this incredible thought. Let's create a space at our table for others. Let us enlarge our family. To me, that's an incredibly profound thing. That God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the original family unit, made a decision, a choice, to exp expand the family circle and invite others to come and sit at the table with them. And so God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit form the universe and the and the climax of their creative project was the formation of a family please note they didn't start a church i know most pastors like to think that the church is god's great idea but it's not what i'm saying to you this morning is family is a great is god's great or big idea church is a great idea if it is um, connected to the concept or the idea of family. And in Genesis, Genesis 1, 27 and 28, it says, God created human beings, created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. God created them male and female. God blessed them. Prosper, 
reproduce, fill earth, take charge, be responsible for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. And so God's mandate to Adam and Eve was to create and build a family on earth that was to be a reflection of the family of the Godhead that was in heaven. However, as the, as the Genesis story begins to unfold, brokenness invades, and as a consequence, family life begins to break down. Hostility emerges between husband and wife. And brother Cain turns against his brother Abel. And by Genesis chapter 6, we see this human family disintegrating uh, to such an extent that God seeks to put an end to all of the family violence that's taking place and sets in motion a rescue plan. And God's rescue plan was what? A family. It was Noah and his wife and their sons and their wives. And from this family, the earth is repopulated. Then in Genesis chapter 12, God approaches a man called Abraham who has a wife, Sarah. And they are childless, but God comes to them with this uh, promise of a son, the promise of a family. And God's promise eventually comes to pass. Abraham and Sarah give birth to a son whom they name Isaac and who goes on to have a son himself called Jacob. And the rest of the Hebrew, Hebrew Bible is essentially the story of this family, which has its origins in Abraham, whose name means father of many nations. The family of Abraham grows from a single clan to 12 tribes, which becomes a nation. And what the Old Testament is, is the unfolding of God's relationship with this nation family called Israel. And God gives um, Israel a wide range of laws to, uh, to govern itself. But when they are condensed, they can be distilled down to 10 key commandments, one of which has a promise to it, the fifth commandment. Exodus 20, verse 12, which says, Honor your father and mother so that you'll live a long, long time in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Somehow, God ties our success, our fruitfulness, our effective, effectiveness in life to our attitude toward our parents. I've got my three children here today. I hope you're listening and <laughs> taking notes. And then the Bible closes with uh, these words from Malachi chapter 4 and verse 6. It says, His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And so my suggestion to you is this, that the Old Testament from beginning to end, if we choose to see it, is all about family. Then when we jump into the New Testament, it begins with the Gospel of Matthew, which begins with the genealogy of Jesus, which traces, traces Jesus' earthly lineage all the way back to whom? Father Abraham. 
And embedded within the life and the ministry of Jesus is this connotation of family. The first recorded words of Jesus found in Luke 2.49 is, I must be about my father's business. When Jesus um, gathers his disciples to himself, he chooses 12 disciples. Why does he do this? Because to the Jews, it was a symbol that God is replacing the 12 tribes of Israel and he is establishing a new family. A new family is being birthed and brought to bear in the earth. The Lord's Prayer. Jesus says the way that you relate to God is not with some um, highfalutin religious language, but when you address God, you come to God and you say, Our Father, or Abba, literally Papa, Daddy God. Jesus is is blowing uh, people's thinking about God out of the water. He's introducing uh, God as a loving, compassionate, caring caring father. And then Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 10 to 13 tells us that the entire purpose of the cross was to establish a a family. Hebrews 2 says, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, It was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them, that's us, brothers and sisters. The New Testament consistently uses family imagery and language. There's sons and daughters, children and sonship, heirs and co-heirs, inheritance, household, adoption and bride. And the New Testament closes with this incredible picture of a wedding feast. But for me, the most um, profound statement probably in the entire Bible is found in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. John makes this outrageous claim. He says, Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. God's life is in them. That word, their life, uh, in some Bibles is trans- translated as seed. But that word, their life, or seed, in the original Greek language in which the New Testament is written, is the word there is literally, wait for it, is sperm. Is sperm. The very DNA of God the Father, lives inside of us. It says, those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's sperm, God's DNA, God's life, God's seed is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. This is not just some vague um, concept. This is not just some kind of good idea. But what John is saying is that we are the very stuff of God. The very DNA of God is within us. 
I'm excited by that. You don't seem very excited by that. <laughs> you don't seem very excited, enthusiastic about this idea that somehow, in the very core of your being, exists the very life, the very nature, the very substance of God. What does all of this mean for us at Bayview? If we view the, the great story of God, the big story of God from beginning to end through the lens of family, what does that mean for us? In church culture, at least in the church culture that I was raised and grew up in, the traditional way uh, of operating was, was this. You had to believe the right things. You had to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And if you believed that Jesus was the Son of God, and then you began to behave in a certain way, you began to live a good moral life, then you could belong. Then you were in. Then you were part of the family. So church culture throughout most of Christendom has operated on that premise. Believe the right kinds of things. Behave in a right kind of way. And if you be believe the right stuff and behave in the right way, then you get to belong. But when you begin to look at, at the Bible, as you begin to embrace the big story of God being framed around this idea of, fam of family, it turns that stuff, can I say, that rubbish on its head. Where you begin is with belong. We belong. We've all been invited to the table. God has created a space and the table is big enough for us all. And to begin with, it doesn't matter what you believe or how you behave. It's come, sit, belong. Find your place at the table. And when you do that, so if you start coming along to Bayview Church, I don't care what you believe, and I don't really care at the moment how you behave. I do, but <laughs> I do. But that's not the starting point. The starting point is come, belong. Come and sit at the table. You're welcome. You're invited. You probably believe all kinds of crazy stuff just like I do. And you probably behave in all kinds of crazy ways, just like Louise does. <laughs> but she belongs. It's okay. She's, she's got a place at the table. And if she believes crazy things and behaves in crazy ways and still belongs, then there's a place for you too. And you come and you sit and you belong and you become part of the family. And we'll teach you how to believe. But we won't teach you dead, dull, kind of doctrinal stuff. We'll teach you what it means to have the very DNA of God living on the inside of you. We'll teach you what it means to be a son and a daughter of God. We'll teach you how to develop and cultivate your identity around this, this concept of being part of the family of God. And we'll teach you how to live out of that, 
how to think right. So you belong, you start believing, and that is you start kind of thinking right. You begin to see God as not an ogre in the sky who's waiting to beat you over the head with a stick every time you misbehave, but will introduce you to Abba Father, and you'll begin to believe that God could actually love you and have a great plan and a purpose for your life. And you know what? When you belong and when you start believing right, the behaving thing just kind of works itself out somehow. The priority is not getting you to behave. That's not the beginning point. The beginning point is come, sit, belong. Take your place at the table. Recognize that God has created room for you and we create room for you. You're welcome here. And we'll teach you how to live out of your position as a son and a daughter of God. We'll teach you that God is a loving God that has a, who has a plan and a purpose for your life. And you'll start to live well. Louise and I are here to help nurture and grow a family. Our hope is that this will be a place where people from every age demographic, from every social, cultural and economic background on the peninsula can come and call home. Like all families, there's dysfunction. My parents are here today. <laughs> Talk to them. And you'll go, ah, so that's why Stephen is the mess he is. Okay, right. Every family is dysfunctional. But our desire is that Bayview Church increasingly becomes a family that reflects on earth a little of the beautiful dynamic of the family of heaven. That's our heart. That somehow in the midst of the mess and the chaos of our lives, that we as a community would somehow display to those who are not yet part of us what the family of heaven is really like. Thanks, babe.